The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Hi, um, Mark Lee, not Mary Woods. Um, I'm the medical director at Westbridge and sit in when I'm lucky enough to do so um, with guests uh, for one hour at a time. So today we have Will Hall. Hi, Will. Hi there, Mark. It's great to be here. So, um, thanks for coming. So, Will, um, I met down at the Intar Conference, which has been very fruitful. I've had some great guests from the Intar Conference. And that was um, International... International... Um, it's the International Network Towards Alternatives for Recovery. Thank you. Um, great conference. Um, really talking about some challenging alternative ideas to the treatment of um, psychotic states and early psychosis. And, Will, you were a speaker um, talking about your own experience and work within the advocacy movement. So, Will, I'll just read my um, brief bio of you, um, that you were diagnosed with schizophrenia and spent a year in San Francisco's public mental health system, um, but have really learned to develop your own personal medicine and approaches to managing um, your extreme states. Um, and um, you co-founded the um, Freedom Center, which is a great program in Northampton, Massachusetts, um, which offers groups and holistic alternatives such as acupuncture and yoga, um, and is on the coordinating collective of the Icarus Project, um, which I'll ask you a lot about coming up, but now you're also a counselor, a Jungian therapist, and um, work with people both in Portland, Oregon, where you live, and nationally through Skype. Um, you've published over 50 um, pieces of writing and appeared in the New York Times and on NPR and in Newsweek, um, and good for me, um, you also are the host of Madness Radio. Um, which can be downloaded on iTunes, and um, you put out, an, what, over 100 shows now? Uh, yeah, Madness Radio has been broadcasting for more than three years on Pacifica Network, and we have about 120 shows now, hour-long interview shows. And they're great, really interesting. Thank you. Perspective with, yeah, I love it. Um, really great um, interviews with people um, diagnosed with mental illness or working with the ad- within advocacy um, or critical psychiatry approaches, um, quite a broad range, really, and, and really reflecting the diversity um, within the critical psychiatric movement at the moment. So, um, so well, do you want to start by telling us a little bit how you, how you got into this whole realm, how you um, stumbled into interest and your own experience with the mental health system? Yes. Well, um, I was diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia, which um, 
I think for a lot of people, the fact that I'm, you know, carrying on a conversation, that I'm able to be reasonably um, understandable is kind of itself uh, something of a stereotype um, buster. And that's really been a big theme of my work over the past um, nine years has been really to try and look at the diversity within the mental health um, experience. And often we put people in boxes too quickly and we assume that one size fits all and treatments are going to work for everyone and they really, really don't. And so my experience has a lot of commonalities with a lot of other people, but it's also very much uh, uniquely my own. Um, when I was a, um, a kid, all through my life really, from a very early age, um, I experienced very um, unusual, strange, um, altered states of consciousness, tr- trance states. I would become very, very frightened and withdrawn. Um, I sometimes would see things or I would hear things or I would um, think that I was being um, attacked or pressured by certain kinds of forces. I remember looking at looking up at the ceiling once and watching cartoons on the ceiling, and I, I was often very... Um, withdrawn and would would fall silent and so i had a a very difficult um uh time with these these states of consciousness i didn't even really know what to call them growing up and i really sort of kind of put it under um a an umbrella of of my depression and just sort of really really buried it and tried not to talk about it and struggled as best that i best that i could and um it was really in my in my 20s and that's a very common time for people to reach a crisis point um, when I'm coming out of college, starting on my own, and the pressures just were, were tremendous on me, and I was still just struggling so much with these very difficult states of, of, of consciousness that I, was, that I was having. I didn't really understand at all, and so I um, had tried a number of different kinds of, of therapy, and then eventually went to a therapist who recommended medication, and this was a time when people might remember back in the... Um, early 90s when Prozac, which was the first um, of the new antidepressants, was really being hailed as a miracle drug, a wonder drug. It was a huge, huge hype campaign. In fact, the manufacturer, Eli Lilly, um, really bet the bank on this new blockbuster drug. Their profits were low. They really needed a turnaround um, as a company. So they really just hyped Prozac like crazy. And I was one of the first generation of people who were taking um, Prozac. And um, so I left the doctor's office with a, a um, free sample and a prescription and started to take Prozac. And I have to tell you, at first, when I started to take it, it was, it was just incredible. It was, um, it was like the best cup of coffee I'd, I'd ever had. I was had suddenly no longer having problems sleeping. I was going into work early. I was getting a lot of, of, um, of work done and just really excited and pretty happy about life and all the problems and fears and difficulties that I had just kind of really faded away. It was this wonderful, wonderful experience that just became more and more wonderful and more and more wonderful, and I got happier and higher and higher and happier, and pretty soon I was having a manic reaction to the, to the Prozac. I was having a medication side effect of mania, and um, at the time, you know, no one was monitoring me. No one was watching what was going on. No one had warned me. I hadn't received any kind of informed consent about the risks of Prozac. And now, of course, there's been many years, there's been a big movement of patients, and now we have the black box warnings on all the antidepressants. We have much more knowledge about the most serious side effects and dangers and risks of these so-called wonder drugs. But at the time, I had no idea what hit me. I went into a, a very difficult manic state of consciousness and um, started going into work wearing 
weird clothes like from the Matrix movie and and um, was getting into arguments with coworkers about Hitler and just had these very wild ideas about how I was going to start my own um, organization. Well, of course, later on, I did actually end up starting my own organization. <laughs> yeah. Um, story. But at the time, I just, I had, I, I'm not someone who really um, agrees with a lot of the labels or the, the diagnostic categories, but you could say I was really having a manic episode, but it was directly result from the Prozac, and I ended up Yeah, it sounds it. Well, well, how long did it take after you were taking the Prozac to, for you to be um, really having these significant troubles? Oh, uh, it's, a, it's a good question. I think it was really probably about a month and a half or so that I really started to, to spin out, and I think it was a lot of different factors played into it, but I ended up losing my, my job, and so now I went from someone, a young person who's having a lot of difficulties holding a job to trying a treatment, and now I lose my job, and I still have the difficulties that I started out with. Yeah. So that kind of, eventually the Prozac wore off, and I was not any better off than I was before. This sort of high just crashed. And, but now I'm, now I'm dealing with the shame of that experience, and I became isolated from my coworkers and my friends. And that started a whole period of spiraling down where there were a lot of different um, pieces to this puzzle. One of them was the very difficult um, altered states experiences I was having started to just come back even even worse. And now I was isolated. I didn't have any money. I was eating really poorly. I wasn't communicating with anyone. Um, and, um, you know, my sleep cycle was starting to go back up, upside down, staying up all night, drinking coffee all the time. All these different stressors came into so my life. You were at the moment, but, but a psychiatrist, if they'd seen you during that time, um, would have said, look, you've got some psychotic symptoms and reversed sleep cycle and some, um, were, were you having delusions and paranoia or? I, I was, I mean, I was, I was seeing things. I was leaving the apartment I was in through the window because I was so frightened of my, um, my roommates. I was walking the streets of San Francisco believing that people were thinking about me or staring at me or having plans about me. So, I mean, from a certain standpoint, you could definitely say that I was having a psychotic um, crisis at that time. But what I didn't need was the kind of intervention that I got because I was forced into the hospital. I was never given a, a, any kind of choice or options. I wasn't even given the, the opportunity to discuss whether hospitalization might be a good idea because I might have gone in voluntarily if I had had that opportunity to have that conversation. When but you spoke instead, down in New York, I think, I think you said that you went in to try to um, talk to somebody and were left there for hours and then um, kind of tricked into um, an inpatient unit. Is that right? I was, I was there for about nine hours. This was the Mount Zion Crisis Center in San Francisco, which I don't believe is still there. And they kept saying, well, the doctor is coming, the doctor is coming, but basically they were just observing me, and they tried a number of different sort of poking me to see what my stress vulnerability was. And, and um, yeah, it was, it was a really terrifying experience. I was treated more like a wild animal that they had had in captivity and that they were observing than treating me like a human being who had problems and needed to talk and needed someone to help me solve this dilemma that I was in in my life of not having a job and all these different stressors and not being able to take care of myself. So I was put in restraints, and I was not violent, I was not resisting, but I was later told that that was a standard procedure, that they put people in restraints to transport them to the hospital. And that was extremely traumatizing for me. I remember having rape nightmares, nightmares of being raped after that 
restraint experience. And then that started my um, my time in the mental health system. I spent um, a couple of months in locked wards. I spent a year in public facilities and, and homeless shelters and residential facilities and treatment centers and um, different kinds of programs in the, in the community and in and out of the hospital. And it was really a very traumatic, upsetting, disturbing period of my life for that year. And by the time that I finally got out of the public mental health system, I was much, much worse off than I had yeah. been going in. Yeah, and you made the point that um, you made the point that you never recovered that level of le- of earning or career development um, ever again um, after losing that first job, right? Yeah, I mean that that was my first job. That was my big career move out of um, out of college, and that's this is something that a lot of the literature on what the mental illness experience or what the diagnosis experience is about is that when you, and especially in a very competitive and individualistic culture like ours, if you have your career interrupted by a year in a hospital or by a, a shameful experience where you lose a job or something. To, to regain that level of status and that, that get back on that career ladder is very, very difficult for people. And so I was not able to, to do that um, and wasn't able to really get help doing it. In fact, I remember being in a vocational training program where they were really trying to match me up with uh, some kind of factory job that was just not appropriate for me at all given the kind of experience that I had and the kind of skills that I had. It just uh, There was nothing really offered to help me regain that um that lost um position in, in, well, in my career. Well it sounds like career. from it sounds like early on you um found it difficult to communicate some of the distress that you were experiencing. Um and as soon as you entered the mental health system it felt like that option was taken away from you, that you weren't given the choice or the chance to sit down with someone and talk through this terribly confusing experience. That's eventually what I needed, and that's not what I got from the system at all. Right, and which is, and that in and of itself is so traumatizing and alienating. And then the experience of being in restraints and carted off and treated, as you say, like a wild animal, um, set you back and deepened that sense of shame. So, um, well, I'll come back to you after a short break. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family sense of recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can you imagine a technology that takes human consciousness to the next level? One that reveals a new understanding of what is valuable and possible in the abundant support of life? The truth is, we already have that technology. We simply need to awaken to it and become the value it creates. 
For more about this, please tune in to Awakening Value, Shamanic Technologies of Consciousness and Success with host Marty Spiegelman. Awakening Value is live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Listen for the right turn with J.J. O'Malley. It's an insider's look at America's fastest-growing motorsports series, the Grand Am Rolex Sports Car Series, presented by Crown Royal Cask Number 16. You'll hear about what happened last weekend and get a preview of what's coming up next. From the Rolex 24 at Daytona through Watkins Glen International, Mid-Ohio, Laguna Seca, right up to the championship at Homestead Miami Speedway. The Right Turn with J.J. O'Malley, broadcast live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Power Up Motorsports Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hi, welcome back. It's Mark Green, um, Medical Director at Westbridge, and with Will Hall. Will, before the break, you were telling me about your own very distressing experiences, and I've heard you say it twice now, but it's so it's so moving, and I know you've said it repeatedly, but unfortunately, it's an experience that so many people go through as they enter into it, as they seek help for these um, difficult-to-understand experiences. And what they get met with is this feeling of, alienation and being silenced um, and shoved into a very um, dehumanizing um, environment. And I know that lots of your work since that time has really tried to give people a voice um, and an alternative way to um, understand their experiences in a supportive network outside of the traditional psychiatric care. So tell me a little bit about that and um, what you've done since that time. Yes, well, I mean, I should say that, I mean, one of the cornerstones of my work is the idea of diversity. And so my own experience, um, which was very traumatizing going into the mental health system, is really common. It's a lot more common then we want to believe I talk with so many people and meet so many people and work with so many people who have a very traumatizing restraint experience or like I was in solitary confinement. Their hospitalization was, was very violent and, and harmful to them. But there are people who have positive experiences, and I think we should recognize that. I don't want to discount those experiences either. But the reality is that the way that the system is set up now, that too many people are being harmed who are seeking help. And so we need some really serious changes in the way that we think about and conduct mental health care. The central problem that I see it is that historically it's been an us and them system that when people are paranoid or they're hearing voices or they are are extremely withdrawn and catatonic and don't speak, which was really a lot of the way that I was presenting myself um, when I was in the hospital and a lot of my states are very much like withdrawal states and I just shut down and become what will be called catatonic. Um, we're, we're seen as we're different than human, that there's something wrong with us, that we're broken, that our genes are different, that we're, um, our brains are different, that we're not quite equal to other humans. We're diseased, and therefore, we shouldn't be listened to as equals. And if this was the one message that I would convey to the listeners 
today is that, that, that recovery and understanding madness and helping people who are in very, very bizarre, distressing, painful states of suffering means listening very, very closely to what's happening to that person and reaching for the part that can be reached in the other person. And that's been the work that I've been doing ever since because it really was only when I started to talk with people who validated my experience, who listened to what I had been through and said, yes, that was terrible. What happened to you? Um, of course you were angry. Of course you were paranoid. Of course you felt traumatized. Look at all the things that happened to you. And then not just my mental health system experience, but also my childhood, my life, the different, different things that I've been struggling with in my life. When that was validated and listened to and supported, that's when my recovery process really started to, um, to connect and I really started to make some changes. The, um, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist and I was trained in um, England and in a very sort of classical um, psychiatric training. So mm-hmm. when people would talk to me, and relay their um, experiences and, and uh, psychotic experiences, I would be labeling them as they went through the, um, you know, I'd hear what they'd say, and I wouldn't listen to the content. I was taught not mm-hmm. to, I think. You know, and I'd say this is a um, certain type of delusion or a certain um, phenomenological um, characteristic sign um, of psychosis. Um, or schizophrenia, and um, because I was being taught in a very medical model, and then we could apply different medications or treatments to it. And certainly in the course of my experience and now training, and the way I now teach psychiatry residents is completely different, and it's been very affected by um, cognitive behavioral therapies and other therapies, but especially, I think, by the voice of um, consumers. Um, who say, well, hold on, this is, let me tell you what I was going through and what got missed and how it felt. Um, and, you know, you said at the beginning that you present so articulately, and that's, that in and of itself is a very powerful statement. Because you say, yeah, I was diagnosed with schizophrenia, schizophrenia, now hear me talk. And, um, but the reality is that the literature shows that and more than 50% of people have positive outcomes after a diagnosis of um, psychosis. That's a very important point to make because the message that I got when I was in the hospital was that, you know, this is a problem with your brain and you're not going to recover. You have to manage your symptoms with medication your whole life. And I'm, I'm not anti-medication. I'm very much um, pro-choice. I know people who um, take medication. I don't take medication, but I know many people who do and feel helped by it. But we are not getting accurate information about the risks of medication, the dangers of how medication can be harmful to the body. And also, medication can sometimes make us even crazier. A lot of the problems that people have, the mental problems that people have, sometimes are a result of the medication. But we're told that this is something that you must do. You must take medication. You will not recover. And um, in fact, that that is a message that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for people. It's not based on accurate science or research. As you said, the studies are consistent that people do recover from even the most extreme um, extreme uh, diagnoses or extreme, the, the backwards chronic cases. Yeah. There are many people do recover. And it's not, a, it's not an easy thing what you're saying about listening to someone because right now I'm, I'm articulate, I can talk about studies and I can tell you my experience. But when I go into space, I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about years ago, I'm talking about recently 
in my life, I still am struggling with these states, and I can talk about pretty bizarre, confusing things. And it takes someone who is willing to be patient and really listen to the details and really explore with me before they can make that connection. I'll give you an example. When I was in um, a residential facility in San Francisco, I had a, a friend who was there with me who her delusion was that vampires were coming and they were they were chasing her. Vampire, they were, people were vampires and they were chasing her. Now, of course, you can say on one level, that's crazy. There are no vampires. Vampires aren't coming after you. But when I talked with my friend Moore, she told me about how her brother raped her when she was a child and how her father covered this up. So you can start to understand that as a child and as someone who's struggling with an overwhelming experience, you might start to believe something about vampires as a way of, of dealing with what's happening to you. My own experience is that when I, I sometimes get into a state that would be considered psychotic and I start to believe that I'm being poisoned, and this is actually also a very common thing that's seen as a delusion or a psychotic symptom that people think, oh, I'm being poisoned, things are poisoning me. Well, actually, or, if you or talk... someone's giving me HIV or... Um, exactly, exactly. Thing, different, yeah. different kinds of these delusions yeah. that, as you say, are just discounted. Oh, let's just throw that away under the diagnostic label. But if you actually meet me and you talk with me and understand my experience, you'll find out that I'm a very, very sensitive person. So my delusions are about poison sometimes as a way of me trying to express and understand how sensitive I am to things that other people aren't sensitive to. And I've often found that it's the people who are considered mad or crazier in the mental health system are often the most creative and sensitive people, but we don't know what to do with our sensitivity or our creativity or our spiritual connections. And so we end up having these very, very complicated um, belief systems and delusions and psychosis as a way of coping with it. But really, there's a very real experience that is reality-based if we can just connect with someone to help understand what it is that we're going through. Yeah, there's been... Um, I want to come back to this um, crucial point about the spirituality and and yeah, way, of, yeah. way of giving voice to that sensitivity. You know, the but before I do, you know, the... Um, we we work very hard at Westbridge um, to um, build alliances with people, and it's not just one therapist, um, but there's a team, and we work very very closely with the family um, to help people um, when they're having um, ex- psychotic experiences, um, and they're no longer able to they lose track of some of the meaning that they're trying to convey, and it can become easily um, it becomes difficult to understand, um, but the family and a, and a group, broader group of people can really help translate um, in a supportive fashion mm-hmm. um, and help someone find their meaning again mm-hmm. um, and well, um, really feel understood and held and through that experience. You know, I know well, that other um, countries use different approaches, so open dialogues in um, Finland and in Munich, they have different safe houses. But I think a lot of them come down to working with a group of people who are understanding um, and patient, um, enabling someone to feel understood and cared for um, during these sta- these transition during these periods. Right. Well, you mentioned the international comparison. I mean, I really encourage people to take a look at some of the interviews that I've done on Madness Radio. It's on our website, madnessradio.net, because there is a, what we're talking about today sounds very idealistic and a very different perspective, but there are in other countries and small programs around the United States and 
and Canada and the United, and United Kingdom and Finland, there are very, very different um, ways of looking at mental health issues that are not so biological, brain disorder, genetic, and they are about the meaning of experience. And that's really key, the idea that the, the believing that there is meaning here if we can just try and connect with the person. So if they, because really it's about isolation. And if you are feeling isolated and you have a belief system, you have ideas that people around you are just telling you are crazy and they're delusional, it's going to make you more isolated. And that's really what the mental health system does to so many people. And in terms of families, when we talk about what is reality or what is real and what is delusion, consider a family where the family says, well, we're a loving family, but one person in the family says, actually, we are possessed by the devil, and the devil is working here in this family. Now, you could say that the person who says that the family is possessed by the devil is the crazy one, but what if the, what if the person who is talking about this psychotic thing of being possessed by the devil is trying to express a deeper truth of child abuse in that family, or the fact that the family is in a tremendous amount of pain that the right. family isn't talking about? So when we talk about what is reality, let's really look at it from a much different perspective of going deeper about what that might be the meaning behind these things that get labeled madness and mental illness. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, we'll take another break. Be back with you shortly. Well. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. At last, a radio program dedicated to helping women look fabulous and feel fabulous naturally. You'll pick up tips on natural detox, learn about the benefits of whole foods, practice stress and relaxation techniques, and learn more about health, relationships, remedies, and self-motivation. Tune in to Feel and Look Fabulous with Arena. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We promise you, it's women's time well spent. 
This is an important programming note from the Voice America Women's Channel. The Catherine Zox Show is moving. Our new address is Voice America, and we will be heard on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, starting Wednesday, November 19th. All of the archives will still be available through Catherine's Boombox Player. Remember, tune in to The Catherine Zox Show on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern, beginning on Wednesday, November 19th, on Voice America's flagship Voice America Channel. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hi, welcome back. This is Dr. Mark Green, um, talking with Bill um, Hall, um, host of Madness Radio and co-founder of Icarus Project. So I'm actually not, I'm actually the co-founder of the Freedom Center, and I'm co-coordinator of the Icarus Project. Okay, thanks. Um, so you know, before the break, we were talking about um, the um, the environment that people can find themselves in, and what other people around them. Um, how the difference in response that other people around them can make um, yes. in the course of their experience. And you know, this brings us, me to the Freedom Center and the ICARS Project. Um, can you tell me a little bit about these two um, projects? And I'm particularly interested in, in the ICARS Project because it's um, mm-hmm. you know, broader. Well, well, I think that there is um, a growing movement of people who are challenging a lot of the mainstream assumptions. I mean, we have been bombarded with advertisements from pharmaceutical companies. The U.S. and New Zealand, by the way, are the only two countries in the world where drug companies are um, are permitted to advertise directly on television and magazines to promote um, medications and getting oh, diagnostic I find labels. it shocking. It really, it's really people don't realize yeah. that it's become such an accepted part of our culture, and the explosion of diagnosis of bipolar and the mm. widespread use of medication. And again, I'm very much interested in diversity, and I'm pro-choice around medication, and so it's not an anti-medication standpoint, but yeah. we have definitely been been sold a very um, misleading picture about mental health, and a lot of people are starting to wake up to this and starting to question it. And so the Freedom Center and the Icarus Project are both, you can check them out online, they are both part of this growing movement in the United States to say, first of all, we need a, a system that does not hurt people, that traumatizing people when they come for help, when they are vulnerable and sensitive and need caring and listening and, and compassion, that putting people in restraints and seclusion and then telling them that they have a, a broken brain and then here's this label and you have to take these medications for the rest of your life, this is harmful to people. And what we need is a much more positive and supportive um, perspective and so the Icarus Project has more than 10,000 people who have become registered with it over the years. There's a huge discussion forum. People are welcome to go to theicarusproject.net and get involved in a wide-ranging um, discussion so on the deep, forum from so all kinds of different perspectives. It's, it's, Absolutely. It's, 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 I mean, there are people who are very much supportive of medications, people who are not supportive of medications. Everyone is in agreement that the, the frameworks and the ways that we've been taught to see madness are just not um, helping people and are not based on an accurate reflection of the diversity 
of the kinds of experiences they go through. And there's discussions about spirituality. There are discussions about holistic health care. There's discussions about the political connections between, for example, uh, homosexuality was considered a disease by the mental health establishment, um, and it was only a political struggle that was able to change that, and there's a huge political dimension to the ways in which racism, poverty, trauma, child abuse get kind of swept under the rug, and instead we say, well, actually, you've got an illness, and it's your brain, just take medications and, and go back to work, and let's not deal with these social problems or economic problems that we're having. So we really try and create a very diverse, a rich perspective, all kinds of different perspectives come together and um, learn from each other and learn ways to deal with our own experiences, to help each other, to support each other in ways that are not necessarily being offered by mainstream traditional care. Yeah, and you have an online um, chat room um, and um, forum, but you also have regional meetings uh, where people come and meet um, other people who are thinking about the same issues. And um, you know, I know that we have one in Boston, um, but there's many groups across the country, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's small but growing number of local groups. The Freedom Center is one example of a local organizing effort that's been going on for about nine years. And we offer yoga, we offer acupuncture, we have writing groups, we have support groups. And that's not to say any of those things is right for everyone. It's just to say that all of us deserve to have options and choices, and um, the Icarus Project is very much a do-it-yourself, volunteer, um, grassroots operation, and so there are different groups that are going on. This, if, depending on what city you're in, you might be able to meet people online, connect with people. Um, some people are into support groups and local groups. Some people are more comfortable online. Some people may just want to go to the website and just learn, have an educational experience. There's lots and lots of articles. There's links. There's connections to these international organizations that we've been mentioning. There's links to a lot of the audio interviews that I've done with um, Madness Radio so people can learn more. Because for me, my recovery, was a lot of it was based on, on educating myself and changing a lot of the messages that I got. Because I think if there was one single ingredient that I would say is, is essential to recovery, it's to be surrounded by people who believe that, that recovery is possible, who have that expect- expectation for you, and don't just see you as someone who's going to be stuck and always in a mental illness state for the rest of, of your life, which is unfortunately the message that we often get from mainstream care. And, and the family's experience. So that sense of hope um, really needs to be carried by um, someone influential and, and transmitted to the family and participant or, or um, identified patient um, so that they can begin to see their way into a new, a new recovery process. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really glad that you mentioned families because um, that has been a, a misunderstanding, I think, that, that either we say that, um, oh, it's a biological problem, it's a genetic problem, you need to take a medication, or we're blaming families, that the whole push for pharmaceuticals and for medications and for mental illness diagnosis has really been driven a lot by people saying, oh, well, we don't want to blame families, therefore we must blame defective brains and biology, well, actually, this is a false either-or choice. I mean, my father is a is Korean War veteran. There's a lot of trauma in my family. There was emotional abuse and physical um, problems, physical abuse in my family, but I don't blame my parents for that because they themselves come from a history of trauma and abuse. I mean, it's I have a great deal of compassion for my father. He was in the Korean War. He's been in in prison, he's had a lot of violence in his own life. So it's not about blaming, it's about understanding. 
And to say, for example, that, that recovery involves personal choice and involves somebody taking initiatives themselves, that's not to say that it's just a moral decision that it's up to the individual to pull themselves up by the, their bootstraps. We've been fed this, this perspective that it's an either-or um, uh, view, and actually it's a much more complicated situation. So I'm always very um, careful to explain to families that even though families may be in crisis, they may be in trouble, there may be abuse, there may be emotional problems in families, there may be communication problems, people may feel there's power struggles and conflicts, that blaming is not really going to be helpful to people to empower themselves and to change, because that's really what we're talking about here is people who need help and need empowerment and they need to, to get support to make well, changes in, a, in their in lives. A, in, a, in a crisis, um, you, people do look for blame and people do become alienated, and when people feel that's right. but um, people feel demonized, you know, and um, families feel exasperated a lot of the time, or they can feel blamed. And the work of the the work needs to be um, converting those people into useful supports and back to loving um, family members, or uh, as best as can be managed, um, depending on the degree of um, trouble that that family has experienced, um, because. No one really is going to know know you as well, um, and it's it's usually the case that um, families can provide at le- families discord in families can cause a lot of damage. Um, civility um, might be the best you can manage, but if you can convert um, people to really being supportive and communicating and listening, there's nothing which can be more healing than having that experience with your family. I think that, I think that's right, and families need help. I mean, it's it, it's not um, it's not an easy situation if you have a child or a young person in your in your family who's having mental health problems, who's acting bizarrely, or is not able to work, or right. or go to school, or is depressed, and and it's so definitely help. Is needed, but unfortunately, what what we've been offered is a one-size-fits-all kind of approach. And I really would like to see much more therapy available to families. I'd like to see much more education around holistic health available to families. I'd like to see much more support around conflict resolution, getting families to be able to talk openly and supportive in a supportive way with each other. And we have instead left families to extremely stressful economic situations where, where people are, are working so much, there's so much pressure on families that, that really caring for each other and taking care of each other has been has been pushed aside in, in our society. And it's not an, an easy thing to be dealing with a mental health problem as a family, but I think it's it's really important for us to not get into quick fixes or or blaming or assuming that the problem is very simply solved by taking a pill. Right. Um, look, I want to get to some specifics around um, some of the ideas that um, maybe you have um, used to manage your extreme states, as well as some of the other ideas out there. Um, you know, the, and of people who you have interviewed on Madness Radio or been represented through Icarus. Um, the whole idea of Icarus. Um, perhaps you could say a little bit about that myth and why that imagery um, appeared useful. Well, the Icarus Project was started by Sasha De Brule and Ashley McNamara, and they came up with the idea of the Greek myth of Icarus as a, as a powerful symbol. People remember that Icarus was in a prison and he escaped with feathers made of wax. Uh, he escaped with wings made of, of wax and feathers. 
And when he was escaping, he had he was flying, and he, he was warned to not go too high because the feathers would um, burn up and the wax would melt, or to not go too close to the sea because the feathers would get wet and he he would drown. And unfortunately, Icarus was so excited by the ability to fly that he flew too high to the sun and ended up falling and and and, and drowning in the sea. And the message of the myth is that. Actually, we can look at who we are as having powerful gifts. We have powerful abilities. All of us have tremendous potential. But if we don't learn how to be careful and take care of ourselves and to use those potentials and use those gifts in a cautious way, understanding our limitations as well as our potentials, then we can get into tremendous, tremendous problems. And so one of the, the things that we focused on at the Icarus Project and at Freedom Center is learning different kinds of wellness and self-help techniques. And there's really just no way getting around it. If you are having a mental health problem, you need to look at your wellness issues and things that you can do for yourself and ways that you can support your friends, colleagues, family members in improving the, the basis, the foundation from which mental health comes from. So maybe after the break, we'll get into a few specific examples, maybe even All right. useful to you. Okay, thanks, Will. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Two views, different topics, questions, answers, news, and advice. You'll want to check out Ecoman and the Skeptic live from Philadelphia University. Every week, join hosts Rob Fleming and Chris Pestor as they tackle a different topic on sustainability. You'll hear all sides of the issue supported by guests who provide valuable insights. Get ready to be engaged, educated, and entertained when you tune into Ecoman and the Skeptic. Broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Green Talk. Network. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
The World Health Organization estimates that 50 to 80 million people worldwide are facing infertility today. For most of them, this news is devastating. It's time for Gifted Journeys. This innovative program, hosted by Wendy Wilson, president of a highly successful California-based egg donation agency, will take you beyond the traditional family and introduce you to alternatives such as IVF, egg donation, surrogacy, and adoption. You'll hear from experts and those who have walked the path. Tune in to Gifted Journeys, Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hi, it's Mark Green, back with Will Hall. Um, in the break, I was saying that I'd read one of Will's um, writings about Cassandra, um, who um, struggles with her own, who has a wonderful gift, but it is cursed, um, so that her gifts, um, no one would believe her. And the, the, the writing is about um, how you have to be careful with your gifts, but if you, um, if you don't treat them right, they can sort of, cause you to fall um, and really bring you into difficult states, right? So, Will, I wanted to hear, we've heard on this show um, from people who have managed um, different methods to um, navigate their own challenges. Um, What have you found useful? Um, Because you're not on medications currently. That's right. I don't. I don't take um, medication, and I think that the answer is it's really important to understand that there's not any one path. I wrote a guide to helping people come off medication. It's called the Harm Reduction Guide to Coming Off Psychiatric Drugs. And one of the big messages of that guide and of the harm reduction approach is that don't assume that one way is the only way. That it may be right for you to continue on medications. You may need to go slowly. You may need to take an experimental approach for a while until you discover what is going to be working for you in terms of your unique path to get away from this idea that once you have a diagnosis, you have a certain solution that's set up for you. Um, for myself, um, there was no I just want to, before, one... Before, before I let you run on this one, yes. I, I just want to emphasize that because um, I think, unfortunately, that um, people with psychiatric diagnoses can feel that there aren't many people within the profession who they can enter into a collaborative relationship with to navigate this difficult process. You know, personally, um, you know, I will work with people if they want to come off their medications, um, but I feel like it's a very difficult path to follow as you begin to um, confront and learn to manage some of these challenges, and medications can profoundly help um, decrease the intensity of them, and maybe you can titrate the medications to begin to learn independent coping strategies and learn so much from going through that process of recovery and um, thinking through um, different aspects of reality and your symptomatology. Um, And you can grow spiritually um, and um, emotionally and your relationships with others can grow intensely through that process. But But you need to find a partner um, in that process, hopefully a prescriber who can be a partner um, to work with you 
and who you can develop some trust with to to maybe slow down that process, move forward and be encouraging um, and find a, 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 a settle at a place where you're comfortable. Yes, I think that's right. I think in our culture we have unfortunately got into a, backed ourselves into a corner where we see drugs as either saviors or, or, or demons and actually the, the truth is is, is neither of those that medications can be helpful to people. They can also be very damaging to people. It just depends on the situation of a person and you need, especially, um, you need support and help and trying to understand and make your way through what we compare to a labyrinth of finding your own pathway. And my own pathway, which was just my own, but it's very much, um, involved looking a lot at my physical health because I think that this is something that's not talked about enough the way in which the, the, by improving our physical health we can improve our mental health and just making simple kinds of connections around nutrition and exercise for example and it sounds like a small thing but it's actually quite quite dramatic there have been a lot of studies that have been showing the effects that exercise can have and also the dramatic effect that food allergies and the impacts of food I mean for example I don't drink um, any kind of caffeinated um, coffee or any kind of soda or anything that has caffeine in it because it really can very, very negatively affect my mental well-being, even to the point of becoming psychotic or becoming extremely depressed and suicidal. And it sounds like that's, wow, how could that be that coffee could affect you so much? But there are many people who oh. are affected very heavily yeah, all the time. by caffeine. In, our, yeah. in Westbridge, you see this all the time. Caffeine is, a, is, is very powerful and it disturbs your sleep rhythms. And, That's the other thing um, I was going to say, is that sleep is a, one of the things, if I could give one message about wellness, it would be around sleep, that, that just getting back on a regular sleep cycle where you're able to sleep restfully through the night, going to bed early, that often is the cause of so much of what gets called a psychotic crisis if someone hasn't been sleeping for a long time. And, in fact, anyone listening to this show right now, if you are deprived of sleep for long enough, yes, you will go into a mental health crisis. But the madness or mania or psychosis is just a potential, it's a possibility within the human psyche. And if we're under the right kinds of stresses, such as not having sleep, um, it can be triggered. So getting my sleep schedule under control, getting my nutrition under control were both very, very important to me. Having people to talk to, so when I was angry about my experiences of being traumatized and I talked about being put in restraints and that having nightmares that I had been raped, that's how traumatizing that restraint experience was. Having people that I could talk to and express my anger and having a community of people who understood, a peer community in my case, people who are other psychiatric survivors is really, really essential for my um, recovery, my, my own wellness, having people who believe in the potential of my recovery that didn't just see me as stuck and I was always going to be a certain way. And I think it's really important to balance the side of us that needs to control our symptoms or things that we call symptoms and keep things manageable and show up and go to work and deal with our daily life to control that, also with the side that's willing to explore this has been one of the big um, learnings that I've been having as a counselor studying with the Process Work Institute, which is a Jungian-based um, counseling and organizational development approach in the, the schools in, in, in Oregon, the idea of exploring, well, what is the meaning in these experiences, that when I am shut down and hearing voices, well, what about listening to those voices? What about exploring what the voices are saying rather than just assuming that, oh, these are just nasty, bad evil voices or they're delusional. 
um, studying the details of experience with the assumption that there's meaning. And there can be different kinds of ways that you can use art, uh, you can use theater and role plays. Uh, listening to dreams is very important. I've had very disturbing dreams that if, when I study them and listen to them and try and explore the meaning and try out different roles in the dream and, and explore what they could be saying to me, that can be very, very helpful for providing some sense of, of container, some sense of like, wow, my experience has meaning. There's a, there's a natural process going on here, a deep, deep process of healing and wholeness and guidance that I have that all of us as natural organisms have operating with us all the time. And that's it one also, of the basic, I think it also basic, changes uh, your um, relationship to those experiences. Instead of um, fearing them and wanting to avoid them um, and, or viewing them as crazy, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're, you're thinking about them, inviting them in, and, and the process of thinking about your thinking um, means that you... You change your, the, the feeling of passivity, um, and you're no longer avoiding, you no longer have to live in fear quite so much of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you can hear the music. I'm, I'm sorry that we've come to the end of our show. It's been great having you on. I, I, we could talk for a lot and learn a great deal about, um, learn a great deal from you. Um, it's been so great being on, Icarus. Mark. I really appreciate you and the opportunity to be here. So it's the IcarusProject.net. TheIcarusProject.net, MadnessRadio.net. My website, if people want to contact me, is WillHall.net. Well, thanks so much. Take care. Thank you, Mark. you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.